Thanks for checking out this message from Radiant Life Church. Grab your Bible, a pad of paper, and a pen. Let's dive in. Isn't it good to be together? Man, I, I just want to give a, a, a quick uh, prayer testimony real quick. Um, you know, we have multiple services here at Radiant Life, and um, it was highly discerned, I think, by several elders and staff that there was something different at 9 a.m., and it was very flat in worship, and it was very flat in the word. And um, <clears throat> afterwards, you know, sometimes you're like, man, we're praying, like, what? Something was holding us back at our earlier service, and um, I'm going to say, we have people in a war room, which is our prayer room, praying for the services, Something broke in the spiritual realm during that Holy Spirit, you're welcomed here song. Like, it was awesome to see it. And uh, I just want to say, there is power to prayer. And I want to thank the, uh, can we just clap for the prayer team that does battles for us? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I normally like response when I, when I preach and teach, right? And so um, the previous service, like there was nothing, like crickets. And I was like, a couple things, I was like, is something wrong with me? Like, and then the worship team was like, no, dude, they're the worship, they weren't. And so it was just interesting. And I, here's what I know, when we're doing great things, the enemy of our soul wants to disrupt it. And uh, by golly, the war team, the prayer team went to a battle for us in the spiritual realm, and I thank you for them. If I've never met you, my name's Ryan. I'm our vision and teaching pastor here, and uh, man, I'm finally excited this parking lot project's going to get done, (laughs) all right? And uh, we'll have space, we'll have quick uh, out, and I'm just thankful for that. And uh, I'm thankful for you guys. I'm thankful if you're a guest and checking us out. I'm thankful for family. Uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, welcome to November, by the way. Uh, did you know it's only 50 days till Christmas? Like, that's it. So I don't know if that clap is, I can't wait for Christmas to be over, or is that like in anticipation? I'm not quite sure. Um, let's just take a poll real quick before we jump in. Let's be honest, we're a church, right? We're the body of Christ, we're family, how many family members have decorated for Christmas already? Anyone have Christmas stuff up? Yes, you are my favorite people. You drive by my wife and I's house, it's Christmas everywhere already. Trees up, garlands up, it's fantastic. Listen, it says it makes you happy, I'm going to believe it. And here's the thing, I had a very peaceful, quiet time. Me and the Lord, we hung out together this morning with Christmas decorations up. I'm just saying, it's fantastic. Some of you want to boo me off the stage right now. I don't skip Thanksgiving. I decorate different than you for Thanksgiving. That's all it boils down to, okay? All right. Well, hey, welcome to a four-part series this morning called Everyday Disciple. And this is a tag-along to our We Are Radiant Life series that we talked vision and mission. And this is a tag-along, and you'll see it. I'm sorry, this is actually a five-part series. I should say that. I forgot. It goes into December. It's all the weeks of November and one week in December. And we're going to be in this together, and we're really going to look like, 
look at what is, what is it when it comes to discipleship? What is it when you and I follow Jesus and we look like Jesus? Like, what does it actually produce in our lives? I want to start with a story in the 1920s. In the 1920s, it was believed that two out of every three cars was a Model T, a Ford Model T. Is it believed that Henry Ford changed the automobile industry forever? The Model T became the most popular vehicle of all time, and it sparked the Industrial Revolution. In fact, Henry Ford did this by making two major shifts. Number one, he had a clear picture of success. He knew what he wanted to produce. He wanted to produce that right there, the Model T. The second shift that Henry Ford made was this. He had a clear process for it. He had and invented the assembly line that began to change the industrial revolution and how we produce things. So Henry Ford had those two things. He had a clear picture of what they were producing and a clear process in order to produce that thing. Henry Ford is quoted as saying this. He knew what he wanted to accomplish. He says this, you can have the Model T in any color as long as it is black. (laughs) There was no variety when it came to the Model T. They knew this is what we produce. We produce the black Model T. And here is exactly the process, the assembly line to do it. And here's what he did at the Ford Motor Company. He gave a clear picture of what his staff was supposed to develop. Each staff member created, if each staff member created his or own version of what they were doing on the assembly line, what would you get in the end? Chaos. If you have no idea why you're putting spokes on this rim, or you think that you're in the paint department and you're supposed to paint pink, when it's very clear, black's our color. Or I don't know, does the steering wheel actually go on the left side or the right side of the vehicle? It would be chaotic if everyone at Ford Motor Company had a different picture of what they were after. But Henry Ford brought clarity in the process and the product of what they were to produce. I want to ask you a question when it comes to everyday disciple. When you think of an everyday disciple. Now, when I say everyday, I'm talking every day of the week. We put that word there for a reason. Because a lot of people think just showing up to church equates to discipleship. That, oh, I, I have to be a Christian, right? I go to church. I want you to wrestle with this question. How would you personally define an everyday disciple? And here's what we're going to do. We're literally going to do this activity together. Okay, It's a five-minute activity that you and I are going to engage with. Now, I'm not doing this because I have nothing to say to you. I have plenty. I want us to get our gears turning to think 
how would we all define an everyday disciple? So I'm going to get a clock in just a moment rolling on the screen, a five-minute countdown timer. And if you're watching online, you can just do this at home with those that are gathered in your room or by yourself, whatever it is, and the timer will be there for you as well. But those in this room, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. You, if you come with a group of people or you're comfortable with the group of people around you, would you get into groups? And if you're like introverted and you're like, dude, I'm still waking up. I don't want people at all. You can stay alone. That's fine. Okay. Two options. We are going to come up with a list in your group or if you're by yourself, just start opening the Bible and start writing the list down. Okay. Of how you would define an everyday disciple. Does that sound, does it sound clear? Okay, so interaction time for five minutes. Are you ready? Compile a list of how you would define an everyday disciple, and I'll be back up in five minutes, okay? Ready, go. Three seconds. All right. There is time. How would you define an everyday disciple? I'm sure we came up with a ton of different answers, right? And in fact, let's just hear your answers. I'm going to give you, on the count of three, to shout out something from your lists, all right? And some of you are processors, which means you need a little bit more time looking at the 52 items you wrote down and like, what one do I want to shout out? I'm going to give you about five seconds to think about one you're going to shout out. Okay? I hope you had fun, first and foremost, trying to figure out <laughs> how would you sign. All right. That's about five seconds. So, on the count of three, just shout out something from your list. Ready? One, two, three. I'm sure you all said something great. I'm sure it was there. And I'm sure it was all correct, by the way. Here's the thing. We probably all said something different and could compile a list. We could be here all day compiling a list, couldn't we, of attributes or characteristics of an everyday disciple, what we all think one should look like. Unfortunately, churches today often don't know what an everyday disciple looks like. They're not all on the same page. As I'm sure we can take a group over here and compare notes to here, and they have things that they don't have, and vice versa, and all this stuff. Here's what this series is going to do for us. Because we believe that we need a compelling and a contextual picture for how people's lives will be different if they follow Jesus and join in on the church's vision and mission. How your lives will be different, that's the key. I bet you many of us came up with a list of all the doing. 10 church, get in a life group, read your Bible, pray, sing a song. It's all the doing. Doing's not wrong. What we want to do in this series is more focus on the becoming rather than the doing. The doing will produce the becoming, but we want to show the becoming side of this. 
And here's the result. If we don't have this right here, if we don't have a compelling and a contextual picture of how, why will our lives be any different with Jesus? If we don't have this stuff, here's the result. It will result in people being told what you want them to do and not who you want them to become. This is why people don't fall in love with Jesus first and foremost. All right, what are all the rules I got to follow now? And that's what it boils down to. And and here's, we at Radiant Life, we want to have a very clear picture of two things. Of two things. First is this. We want a clear discipleship pathway for the church. A clear discipleship pathway. And we want a very clear picture of an everyday disciple. Of who we feel the Lord is leading our church to become. And as the result is if we are able to give you a clear discipleship pathway... In a very clear everyday disciple picture, which the series will do, both of those, we believe the result will spark a disciple-making movement and the vision and mission being lived out. We will become a church that's fully alive in Jesus Christ. And here's the backside. Without a picture, here's the result. We will measure what's easiest, not what's best. We will measure then what's easiest, not what is best. Do you remember, it was either last week or the previous week, I I brought that Dallas Willard quote, the Dallas Willard quote that said, your church ought to be asking two questions. These are the most most important questions that your church can can be asking. Number one, is your disciple-making process working? Number, that's the first one, and something. I forgot it now. This is great. You know it. Two most important questions to ask. Ah, what's your church doing and is it working? Thank you. Should have just had Pastor Josh bring the message today. <laughs> Thank you for that. There you go. And so uh, if we don't have it clear, we don't know what we're doing. We don't know how we're becoming. Like if you're going to measure your faith progress, what do you measure it to? Right? What do you measure it to? And, and so it's very difficult sometimes. And there's a, there's a myth in church. <laughs> and unfortunately, is it hot in here or is it just me? It's super hot in here, is it not? Like, I only got a shirt to go down to, then I got nothing else. Like, I can only go so far. Okay, I see a lot of people fanning and sleeves rolled up. Do you mind? Thank you, Pastor Josh. Okay. Well, I was like, I'm starting to roll up my sleeves. I see a lot of people fanning themselves now. We're changing it. All right, Pastor Josh, thank you for that. So one of the greatest myths is this right here. Program activity equates to transformation. It is not a fact at all. Just because, please hear me, you could have been going to church for 40 years and still be an infant in your faith. You can sign up for every activity the church has to offer and still never allow the spirit of God to transform your life. A program activity does not equate to transformation. Oh, please hear my heart. We would love for you to be involved in as many activities as possible. Absolutely we would. But it doesn't equate to life transformation. And here's the result. If you are all based on program activity, here's what program activity ends up doing. We as the church in general will tell people how, how uh, their lives will be busier but not how they'll be fully alive with Jesus. And lean in, your lives are already scheduled enough. 
We don't need to pump, dump a bunch of more. What we need is to make sure what we have will transform your life. And that's what we want to do. And so we look and boil it down um, to have a clear picture of as we jump in and as we understand discipleship and everything, what are four characteristics? We as a church have been wrestling with this for about a year now with some pastors, some of our elders, and some of our life group leaders. We've gotten together over the past almost year. We've been at my home. We've been in different rooms in the church. We've had white paper uh, sticky notes, big wall sticky notes all over my home and all over the walls here at the church, working on language and all this sort of stuff. We wanted to sit here and go, what does an everyday disciple look like? And we wanted to make it based on a couple things. And as you guys had shared in your groups, we came up with four phrases. That's it, four. Here's how we created it. We created these four phrases. It was created in such a way that all generations could understand. We wanted language that a first grader could understand as well as the 92-year-old. So we needed to look at some of our words. And I'm going to tell you, man, we had words and some phrases I fell in love with. I'm like, that's, the, that's it, that's it. And then it's like, Then what we did is we did a soft survey with our own families and kids. We're like, okay, we think this is it. Now go ask your kid if they can understand it. And we asked our kids, and our kids are like, what the heck are you talking about? (laughs) So we're like, okay, that word doesn't work then because we want it across generations. We want the first grader to understand so yes, you and I in this room, we could, we could know some larger language, but we'll unpack that. But we boiled it down to four things. We also desired to look at these four, and we desired to articulate who you become, not just what you do. So you'll notice these four phrases have nothing to do with prayer. It's just because we don't say prayer. But prayer is summed up in every part of these. We don't say sing worship songs, but worship is caught up in every single one of these. So you'll understand that. What we did is we tried looking at the Gospels. We want to look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We wanted to look at the book of Acts to see what the early church was like and how they discipled. We want to look at the character of Jesus, what he taught, and how he taught his disciples. And these are the four phrases that we landed on so all generations can understand. Here are the four. Number one, a spirit-led follower. This is our language in-house, is how we become filled and empowered by Holy Spirit. Number two, we called it force for good. That's all about having our kingdom impact, okay? Uh, A first grader struggles with the word kingdom, but a first grader knows good from bad, and so they understood good. And can you be a force for good? Good. You get that. Now knowing at school you can be good. And now a parent can mentor their kids. Say, hey, so how do you bring and help be Jesus at your school? What do you need to give your teacher? What do you need to say to that friend? What do you have to do to your gym teacher? How do you bring in now the kingdom of God to be, bring the goodness of him to people? Number three, we called it purposeful friend, which is our reaching the lost category. People are not projects, but they certainly, we as Christians, we live on mission. Every interaction can be a divine opportunity and a divine interruption, a divine moment for you and I to reach a lost person. You and I should live on purpose. We are a purposeful friend to that lost person that knows one day, listen, you need Jesus. 
And we do have purpose with them. Yes, it's friendship. It could be friendship. We're not hanging out with them all the time because we're in biblical community more than hanging out with lost people. But we have to engage with lost people and I have purpose. I have the message of Jesus Christ and you need it and I love you and you're created in the image of God and your heavenly father loves you. And he wants a relationship. It's purposeful friend. And number four, humble leader. Humble leader. It's how you and I become disciple makers. Humble because we always give praise and glory to God. It's not about you and I. It's about him. Number two, even our students in the elementary school knows what it is right now. Because in our schools, particularly here in Sturgis, they're building a leadership program in our students. So our students already have that language. That's why we used it. Being a humble leader. Who are you making a disciple with? So this morning, we're going to focus on one. And over the next, uh, every week, we'll focus on another. And then the first week in December, we'll look at a discipleship pathway. This, this week, we're going to jump into spirit-led follower. So if you got your Bible, you want to turn to the New Testament, will you turn to Galatians chapter 5. You're going to find four guys about two-thirds of the way through your Bible, 70, 70% through your Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It goes Acts, Romans, First and second, or first and second Corinthians, then Galatians, then Ephesians, then Philippians, then Colossians. And it keeps going. But you're going to find Galatians. As you set up and as you look, whether you've got your phone, your tablet, or your Bible, oh, I love the word. I love, a, I, I love books. Love it. I don't know, do they make a book candle? That would be awesome. I just love going into Barnes and Nobles for the smell. Like, whoo, it smells good in here. Coffee and book, by the way. That's what you get at Barnes and Nobles. It's awesome. Okay. I'm not going to dive in too much. It's going to be a little quick teaching on this because here's why. Holy Spirit weekend comes this Friday. So we're going to go more in depth. And I'm not going to go more in depth because we really want you here. Uh, It starts Friday. Doors will open at 6. We'll start at 7 o'clock. Uh, we'll run to sometime. And then Saturday morning, we're back here at eight to noon. I, we will be done at noon because we don't want to take too much of your time. And also, Michigan's got a really big game at noon. All right. Not going to lie. All right. So that's why. There you go. Okay. Actually, I didn't even know it was a noon game when we scheduled this event. The grace of the Lord told us now. This must be from him. All right, here we go. Galatians chapter five. If you're there, let me see. Let me hear you say word. We get in the word. So the word gets in to us. Let's dive in. Galatians five. I say then, walk by the spirit. I love these right away. I don't know about you, but my Bible, I have a, In bold, right above verse 16, I have a heading. My heading says, the spirit versus the flesh. And I love when Paul's writing to, this is a region of Galatia, many churches, this is a letter to them, those Christians in the region of Galatia, which is about southern modern day Turkey. He's writing this letter to the churches there, the Christians, and he says, I say then, walk by the spirit. How are you to walk out this faith? It's by the Spirit of God. 
And that could mean three things. Three things we have to understand immediately is number one, the Holy Spirit lives in you. As a Christian, as a moment of salvation, the moment of conversion that happens when you put your faith and trust into Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you surrender, you are given a deposit. You are given the indwelling of the Spirit of God that now resides in you. You are a temple for him to reside within you. You now have his presence, his power inside of you. You aren't left just, well, good luck living this life. Thanks for inviting me in and and trusting me. The third part of the Trinity Trinity now indwells in you. Oh, you got to get this. You got to get this. You don't just surrender your life to Jesus at conversion. You got to now surrender your life to the Spirit of God. To allow him to have control. The Holy Spirit lives in you. The second is this. We have to be open and sensitive to the influence of the Spirit. If you and I are going to walk by someone, you and I must be under the influence of that person. We must be open to them and we must be sensitive to them. When, they tur- when the Spirit turns left, you turn left. When the Spirit turns right, you turn right. When the Spirit says, stop, I'm not walking right now, you and I stop. And here's the danger. You and I can quench him. You and I can grieve him. And we'll dive more into that over Holy Spirit weekend. I don't want that for you. I want you to walk and live by the Spirit of God. Here's the last one. Pattern your life after the influence. What is that? That says infuse. That's weird. It's supposed to say influence, by the way. Uh, Pattern your life around the influence of Holy Spirit. If you're walking by someone, they have influence. May you be influenced by him. And then then Paul writes, look what Paul says. If you do this, you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. And then Paul's going to go, as if you need to know what the flesh is, I'm going to tell you what the flesh is. Because he's going to wake you up to something. There's a war raging inside of you. He goes on and says this, for the flesh desires what is against the spirit and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other key, so that You don't do what you want. Here is a great measure in your life. If you know, am I walking by the Spirit? Am I doing what I want to be able to do as I follow Christ? Or am I doing what I don't want to do as I follow Christ? That's the measure. Because your spirit and your flesh are at war within you. And Paul is reminding the Christians that war is real and you must be influenced, be open, be sensitive, be led by, walk by the Spirit of God. And then he goes on, and I love this statement. I love this word in the Bible because it means something ugly to something beautiful. And this word is but. But if you are led by the Spirit, You're not under the law. 
the law had all these rules and all this stuff that you had to do in order to receive forgiveness. It had all the doing stuff to it. What Paul's getting at is this, the antidote to the flesh, the things that you don't want to do that you're doing, it's not found in following all these rules and the law and everything. It's only found in the spirit of God. You got to be led by him. Are you tired of that sin that keeps entangling you? How would you crucify it and give it over to the spirit of God? You won't do it on your own. You can't. We are powerless without the spirit of God. And it's the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave lives in you. Woo, can you imagine if we began to tap in to everything the spirit of God desires from us? Oh, I'm going to tell you right now, this whole world will be Christians. <laughs> Truly, like think about that. It will. And then he goes on and he's going to tell a little bit of the works of the flesh in your life. And I love it because he says, these are obvious. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery. That word sorcery means pharmakia. It's drug use, by the way. Hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing. And then Paul was just probably tired and said, and anything else similar to this, you guys know, my hand is getting really tired. I am warning. I'm not here to beat you up, Christians in Galatia. I'm warning you about these things as I warned you before. Here's the warning that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This word practice literally means habitual continuation in it. You know, sometimes I look at that list and I go, I can see myself sometimes. Outburst of anger, been there. Selfish ambitions, probably. But he says, listen, you won't beat these things without the spirit of God. Oh, and that's not the complete list. Remember, he says, and anything similar, he could keep writing. Here's the key, though. Walking by the flesh imprisons you. You will be stuck. And you won't come fully alive in Jesus unless the Spirit of God is awakened inside of you and you surrender control to him. And you, he starts to lead you to the path that is the right way to live, not the flesh. It is a full surrender. We need to get back to the church and look at the Bible and say, listen, there is a surrendering to Jesus and a surrendering to the Spirit of God in our lives. And then I love what Paul does next. I love it because Paul is, he's Paul. He says this, but, there's that other word, that, that word is so cool. Turn to your neighbor and say, but. That's actually weird. But, watch this, the fruit of the Spirit. The what? The the fruit, singular, not plural. It doesn't say fruits. It's one thing. It's one giant fruit. It's love. It's joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. I, I often look and I go... How's my fruit doing? 
I always pray that my family, I pray for my family every day. Every morning, I pray, help the Bib family have the biggest fruit of the Spirit. Let me ask you, how's your fruit? If I'm honest, there's sometimes I feel like my fruit is not this perfect round fruit. It's like a deformed fruit. Like the patient side of the fruit is a little indented right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, de- the gentleness side of the fruit over here, it's got a little rot to it. <laughs> How's the wholeness of the fruit of the Spirit in your life? I love how simple Paul's writing here. It's actually simple. Walk by the flesh, you're gonna do all those bad things, but walk by the spirit. Listen, there's fruit in your life and it's love and it's joy and it's peace and it's patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. And Paul's saying, Christians, this is what I want for you. This is not only what I want, this is what the spirit of God wants for you. And get this though, Fruit isn't achieved by working, it's birthed by abiding. You and I have to abide. You can't just sprinkle Holy Spirit pixie dust over you and think, that's all better now, I got a big fruit. You gotta abide in Jesus. You gotta abide in the vine. You must abide in the word of God. We gotta abide in biblical community. We must be a people, a community who abides. Don't answer. Just think. When's the last time you just got alone with you and God? Maybe it's just you and the word. Maybe it's just you and worship. When's the last time you actually just you and him got together? I want to encourage you. The saturation of the word of God in your life within community will radically begin to change things in your life. And here's the truth. The Father desires for you to have a diet of the character of Jesus by the power of Holy Spirit. When you and I begin to abide in him, remain in him, in his word, what happens is we begin to bear the fruit and everything you and I read is who Jesus was and is. And Paul's sitting there going, the spirit of God wants that. Are you walking by the Spirit? He continues on. He says, now those who belong to Christ Jesus, now he gets a little tough, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. God has a place for our flesh. God has a place for all of its passions and desires. It's called death. Crucify it, kill it. I love this language, here's why. You're not even to resuscitate it, right? You're not even there to feed it a little bit here and there. Like, I'm not too bad. I mean, to just throw a little bit of food at that passion and desire. No, it's to kill the thing. It's to death to our lust, our passions, the things of this world. It's to die and to go after King Jesus. I love Pastor Adrian Rogers. He pastors a church down south. And um, <laughs> there's a doctrine on conversion when you and I come to faith. And worship team, make your way up. There's a doctrine out there 
of conversion that believes that like once you're saved and follow Jesus, once that happens, it doesn't matter what you do in life and all the sin you may walk out in life because you're saved and forgiven, right? You're good. And Pastor Adrian Rogers has the best response for people who believe this idea that I'm saved and I, I, I can do what I want because I'm good, right? This mentality is I got my ticket out of hell. That's all I actually wanted Jesus for anyways. And here's what he says. Some people will say, if I believe in this doctrine, then I'd get saved and I'd sin all I want to. Friend, I sin all I want to. I sin more than I want to. I don't want to. Then he says, when you get saved, you get your wanter fixed. As a matter of fact, you get a brand new wanter. In other words, I don't want the things of the flesh anymore. Those have died. The things that I want now as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, as an everyday disciple, is I want the Spirit of God. I don't want this anymore. Don't get me wrong, sometimes the flesh will rear its ugly head. What do we do when it does? Kill it by the Spirit of God. And Paul closes this whole time. And he says, If we live by the Spirit, it's a reminder from the beginning. Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us keep in step. The Spirit directs your steps. Not you, not the flesh, but the Spirit of God. And here's the beauty. If walking by the, uh, if walking by the flesh imprisons us, <laughs> walking by the Spirit gives us freedom. It'll produce the character of Jesus Christ in you. What I'm going to ask us to do is just to let go of the things of this world, the things of this flesh, Maybe walls we built around the idea of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We just got to stop not thinking that's weird. Okay, baptism just means immersion. Like we need a constant filling. In fact, Paul says that. As he's writing to modern day Manhattan plus Las Vegas known as Ephesus. He writes the letter to them in Ephesians and he says this in Ephesians 5.18. To Christians... Don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. It's reckless living. But he says this, be filled with the Spirit. The the actual verbiage, if you look in the Greek when it's written, the actual tenses of the words, it literally means to constantly being filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, hear me. There's a one-time event that happens at salvation. You are filled and you have the Spirit of God. But you and I leak. Sometimes the flesh does get its ugly head in. And he says, be constantly filled. Be constantly baptized. Be constantly immersed with the Spirit. 
as we close, three questions. You're going to get questions every week on these four things that we're going to talk about of an everyday disciple. Three questions. These are questions I ask myself, and I'm going to start doing this every day. Start asking myself when it comes to a spirit-led follower, one who is filled and empowered by the spirit, number one, what has my attention, thoughts, and energy? What has them? You begin to examine with the spirit of God those things. Oh, the spirit's a gentleman, at least in my life. He has to rattle Pastor Josh a little bit more. <laughs> and that's not me being me. Pastor Josh will say, I got to get punched across the side of the head sometime. But the spirit will show you, hey, Ryan, your attention is awfully on a lot of earthly things. Focus back on me. Ask yourself, what has my attention, my thoughts, and my energy? Number two, ask yourself, what scripture is currently shaping me? It's that abiding thing. Martin Luther said this, without the word, I could not have held myself against the flesh. What scripture is currently shaping you? And you know what that will reveal? If your answer is like, I don't know. Here's the encouragement. But today you can start. Don't beat yourself up for it. But today you can start. And here's the last one. Who's currently leading me? Self or Holy Spirit? Get raw and honest with him. For he will always lead you to truth and life. Thanks for listening to this message from Radiant Life Church. To get to know us better, check out theradiantlife.church. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram.